you from the Bates Motel. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest details of 1983's Psycho 2 in the hopes that a co-conspirator to drive this poor man crazy again, their untimely end, is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if I am running that motel kind of sleazy, she'll send me packing and my sexy ashtray with me. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Oh, no, I'm keeping that ashtray for myself. <laughs> it's just, it's uh, too sexy. You know what I mean? It's it, too it, it sexy. Really, it really made me homesick for, for my hometown of Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get right into it. Because I am a... Uh, well, I mentioned this on on Patreon and in a version of our Patreon that didn't even make air because we had to start over again. But uh, our last Kill by Kill, we talked about another sequel, Final Destination, a film that I, I hold that opening in very high esteem. And I like a lot of things about it. I think the characters are super interesting. And the, the, some of the deaths are fantastic. But I also have like, problems with it and i it's a lot of people's favorite and they were really looking forward to it and then i i was like oh i might not have treated that very well <laughs> and um i guess as a makeup if you don't like psycho 2 i might understand that completely but i am a massive fan of this motion picture when was the first time you encountered psycho 2 Oh, it had to have been sometime in the mid eighties. Uh, this is another one of those that seemed to be on cable a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, you so, can you can you can shorten those gory death scenes pretty well, and I think it still plays for the most part. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was one of those movies that if it was on, I watched it. So I saw it quite a few times as a uh, as a as a tween. Uh, <laughs> sure. But this is actually the first time I'd watched it in probably a good 25 years. I had forgotten how much I liked it. I think I had a genuine, that's a good movie in the back of my head. And of course, as they want to do, Scream Factory put out a very nice Blu-ray of this, I think very early into their tenure um, as a company. And uh, I watched it again. I'm like, holy shit. This movie is legit great. And I just don't think I had come into my own as a giant Richard Franklin fan. And since then, I am a huge, especially his early works. I just, he never, he kind of found himself out of favor a little bit as the 80s, you know, wore down and became kind of a TV guy. But Damn, his early Hitchcock riffs are so fucking good. And um, while I hold road games in higher esteem, I just don't think you can discount Psycho 2 simply because it's a sequel, because it, it's doing a lot of things not a lot of other sequels are able to do. No, and it's a really good standalone movie. And But I also appreciate that they... they they opened with the shower scene. <laughs> like, <Right>. remember this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and in a time which a sequels were just becoming prevalent, but really as a society, we didn't have a ton of sequels for the most part. 
Um, you would have films that would essentially be the same film, just call themselves something different. But sequel culture really uh, had was just blossoming there in the 80s. And I think there was a lot of people that they were probably Universal was worried about that the only thing they knew about Psycho was it has a shower murder in it. And that was probably true. I'm glad that they did that rather than just recreate the shower scene with like yes. an entirely different yes. character, which would have been you know, a, a cheap approach that I feel like a lot of lesser sequels would have taken. Yes. Or that th- a filmmaker would go, I need to recreate this because otherwise I'm just going to hold myself up to in comparison to Alfred Hitchcock. And Franklin's confident enough to go, there's power in this scene. There's no way I could do this better. What some might argue is the ultimate Hitchcock sequence. And it reminds the audience that Norman is genuinely dangerous. Here is a cold-blooded murder that he conveniently blocks out and performs in the guise of his mother. And we all know, you know, culturally, that he is guilty. And seconds later in the courtroom, there he's told, You're commit, you committed these murders. You, but it was, you know, you were uh, viewed as uh, you, you couldn't be convicted because you were insane at the time. And now you are cured and we're going to unleash you back into a society with no safety net at all. We're just going to send you back to the same house where this happened. Because <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with this? This is a great fucking plan. Like nothing in the house has changed in the past two decades since this terrible thing happened. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to stay there, and those that do creep into the basement to fuck. Of course, the 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 the, the murder fruit cellar, <laughs> filthy, dimly lit, filled with twenty five year old jars of peaches, fruit cellar. <laughs> And literal roots, like the root, it is a root cellar, but there are just roots, growing roots, just hanging out in this and, bucket. And, and a pile of coal that just materializes there so what, from <laughs> out of nowhere? Yeah, where do you pick up giant bales of coal that you just pile in the corner for your heating purposes? I, 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 I suppose I suppose that that occurred at some point in time. It's not science fiction. People had to have coal. I was in a, in several productions of A Christmas Carol. I know how it works. <laughs> Are you crash a child number three or something? Uh, I started out as an urchin who is presented to Ebenezer Scrooge as a, you know, you ignore them. And I would come out from underneath the ghost of Christmas. Oh, you were, you were ignorance and or want. Yeah. Awesome. And, And then I graduated up to tiny Tim because I was tiny. So I did tiny Tim for a while because, uh, I did not grow. And then I graduated from that to the boy who, do you know that turkey in the window, the biggest one they have? Um, (laughs) It's Christmas, sir. Oh, it's Christmas die. I mean, I'm sure I had the shittiest. Because you know, I don't do accents. I really don't. I have the one accent, Australian, because I'm making fun 
of the one joke in Mystery Science Theater 3000 from from that uh, alien alien in L.A. movie where everyone's Australian but her. <laughs> I think Mike goes, oh, did I mention I'm Australian? And I just said that so many times that I can kind of do an Australian accent. <laughs> what were we talking about again? Psycho <laughs> 2. So speaking of Australian, Richard Franklin, the director, is Australian. He was uh, born and raised in Melbourne. Although I, what I didn't know until recently was he was a USC kid uh, like uh, Lucas and Zemeckis and Carpenter. So uh, he, you know, kind of comes up in the Ozploitation sort of era of filmmaking. He makes some sex stuff <laughs> as people were wont to do in the early 70s in Australia. But uh, in 1978, he makes a movie with uh, Everett DeRoche called Patrick uh, about a guy who's in a coma he electrified his mom who is sexing somebody up good and somehow he ends up in a coma but he also ends up with telekinesis and he ends up like throwing a bunch of shit at people and making his doctor eat a frog it's a weird movie great ending weird movie should we cover that at some point you know because named for you yeah Sure. Yeah. I would not cross it off the list. It is a weird one. And, and it's also, you know, I would almost call it like a first movie in a lot of ways. Although like he did these like two kind of like sex, you know, comedies and whatnot. Um, but this, uh, when he gets to Patrick, he kind of fucking figures it out. But then the next movie, Road Games, which is also a Neverett DeRoche uh, penned screen, uh, screenplay, is fucking amazing that is a definite someday we are covering road games it is that fucking good well what i like is the uh is how the story of how this movie came to be is that they were going to adapt robert block's script and they were like yeah. they read it they're like no we're not going to do this <laughs> no, this and, is uh, and they're like you know maybe you, you shouldn't publish this He's like, he's like, yeah, well, I'm gonna publish it. I haven't, I haven't read it, but the the um, there's a synopsis, and basically it opens with with uh, Norman killing someone and raping the corpse. So uh, I, I don't know yeah. if you've ever read the in, uh, any of the the source material, but but uh, you know Norman in the book is it like this like kind of you know, gentle shy boy. He's like more aggressively right. dangerous, and he's also like you know, yeah. like a, an overweight middle aged man, and not like you know this delicate <laughs> fawn of a twenty year old. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Anthony Perkins does a lot to make Norman Bates, you know, an interesting character in all the iterations uh, that he's in, um, but in particular in the first Psycho. I mean, that's I, I don't think there's a well, I wouldn't say there. there's not a badly acted role because I don't think there's a good member of the sheriff's department. I think that whole monologue at the end is kind of fucking weird. But, uh, you know, nothing is perfect, but as close to it as it get, you could probably put Psycho there. But I think Block is an idea generator. He's always um, struck me as a person who has great ideas and you can take those ideas and do cool things with them in other media. Yeah, it's just you know, I, I, it, and it, like the, the third Psycho movie has nothing to do with the third book. It, it, it just it completely diverged from each other. They're they're ships in the night, basically. 
Um, and I, I think they, they work better as the movies that they are. No, no shade to block or fans of those novels. Um, that being said, what I love in particular about Psycho 2 is it takes on the challenge of making Norman kind of the final girl of his own story. It's a, it's a tale about how Norman is right that he is innocent up until the point he isn't. <laughs> and he just has to, like, the world needs him to be Norman Bates. And a lot of this, this you know, this movie is like, I don't know, maybe I could be like a fry cook or maybe I could just run this hotel and not kill people. And the world's like, I don't know, we might need you to kill people. Well, it's not so much the world needs him to kill people. It's that Lila, Lila Crane needs him to kill people. Yes, Lila Crane in particular needs him to kill people. And that was another thing that really struck me this time when I watched it. Because she is Karen Prime. <laughs> I mean, very. Like, she might be the most Karen of all the Karens. Because she's consumed with a legitimate crime that, that happened. And then a result that she does not like in that trial. And then when it, it continues... And the result that she did not like is allowed to stand. She's like, you know what I'm going to do? If you're not going to, you know, if he's not going to commit crimes, I'm going to try to get him to commit crimes or maybe commit a few crimes of my own to make him appear like he's committing crimes or just like push him to the point he commits crimes and then gets really pissed off when the sheriff's department's like, I'm not convinced crimes were committed. <laughs> like she's she loses her fucking shit. Yeah, she's it's 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 an interesting approach because she is the antagonist here, but also right. yes. like her motivation is not. It, I should say it, it it is understandable to a certain extent. I mean, you know, yes, who's, yes, who's yes. among us if our loved one was brutally murdered wouldn't create an elaborate plan to to to. Uh, drive crazy again the person who did it once he was he was you know, sprung from the loony bin and it's not out of uh range of her character from the original film who once her sister goes missing is like i'm going to track her down this was the last place she was seen i'm convinced you have something to do with it and she doesn't give up she enters his house. She does all the things that she does in Psycho 2, and she's the hero in that movie. And besides her lunkhead that eventually she marries, apparently gives a birth to a child from, and then he just dies off screen. So it's not like she changes. It's simply that we now know that Norman has worked on himself for 22 years and you can tell he doesn't want to be that person ever again. And she's like, I don't know. I really need you to be that person again. Otherwise, all this anger doesn't make any sense. It's funny. It's it's really kind of a miracle that this movie works as well as it does. Be- because this plan that Lila and her daughter, Mary, who's played by Meg Tilly, come up with is mm-hmm. so elaborate and, and involves so much sleight of hand and moving around unnoticed yeah. and and just this impossible amount of coordination and and apparently moving around giant piles of coal and, and 
pushing like this old timey Victorian style furniture, you know, you know, around a room undetected, you know, finding yeah. clothes, putting them in a closet, taking them back out of a closet. And pres- now one thing I've never been 100% clear on, and I remain sure. unclear, that's Mrs. Spool that's actually killing everybody up to a certain point, right? That's not that's not Correct. Lila. Yes, it is not Lila. Lila, weirdly enough, and I feel this way every single time I watch the movie, where I'm like, oh, she's she's the person who's being driven to kill, and then I'm rem- then I remember, no, there are, there are kills in this that she could not be a part of. It's simply that two conspiracies are happening at the same time. If you were to put the plot of this movie on a mood board and put red string that connects all the dots, the wall would be all red string. (laughs) It would just look like a beautiful knitting project. But like, okay, so what? Then you have this third person who is you know, sneaking around undetected, never crosses paths with these people. And, and it's definitely yes. one of those when you think about it long enough, you're like, I don't think that would work. And yet, and yet <laughs> somehow this movie manages to work. Yes. I mean, the, the doubts you have as the movie is going on of like, I don't think that Lila and Mary could actually pull off this trick is absolutely correct. They can't. And they don't. It just so happens that they have help they're unaware of from Mrs. Spool, a.k.a. Mrs. Bates 2.0. And she's killing off a bunch of people that it you would think that Lila and Mary are killing off to set up Norman. But the reason they're dying are completely unrelated circumstances but the same motivations, it's wild, but it fucking works. Yeah, it shouldn't, but it does. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and when we're talking about Lila and Mary, we really, <laughs> we, we texted a little bit about this. But we really need to discuss what is at the core. The thing about this movie that I, is, is the hardest for me to kind of get behind, and that is, Mary's turn from, okay, mom, I'll set up this guy who murdered your sister and, and I'll, I'll set him up so that he goes back into the home for the criminally insane again. I, I'm 100% on board with that. She meets up with him, stays over one night, is very concerned about it. And when he doesn't immediately kill her, she's like, I don't know, kind of like him. Might lie to the police about it. Might might cover for him when he could legitimately have killed these people that the police are talking to him about. And she's like, I don't know, don't think he did it. She makes a real snap judgment. Yeah, I, I mean, it also, you know, to, to amp up the weirdness, uh, again, I mentioned that this character is played by Meg Tilly, who sort yeah. of specialized in, in in the sort of ethereal weird girl role in the in in, in the right. 80s. She, yes. So yeah, she's yes. a little spooky herself. She is. I mean, I don't know that her role here is any different than the role she plays in the big chill. You 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 cast her because she did this kind of character. Um and <laughs> at one point is like mothering him. When, she, when he has been menacing her in her sleep with a knife and she wakes up, is like, Norman, you're not going to stab me. Come on. 
sit down and chill out. <laughs> and he like kind of listens to her, but kind of does it. And then she's like, come rest your head, your troubled head on my bosoms. This will help. Like, you, sm- you smell and- good. It's like, what do I smell like? Toasted cheese sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's so hot. I mean, uh, when you say that, I get wet. That's the thing. And the thing is, I don't have the mechanics to do that, but I guess it's happening anyways. Yeah, it's um, not overtly as overtly romantic as in Psycho 3. Where uh, right, yeah, he, yeah. he meets up with yeah another kind of spooky chick, but you know there it yes. is definitely more set up to be a, a romance. But here it's kind of it's kind of yeah, verging onto that. I mean, I think they're playing around with the idea of a woman presenting to him to actually be sympathetic to his cause, a very antithetical relationship to obviously his mother. Or it might remind him a little bit of Marion to a certain degree, who was wary, sympathetic, not immediately thinking this is a guy who will murder me in the shower. Otherwise, she probably would have left. And so it plays around with the geography that you're aware of and recontextualizes it in a new and interesting way. And I find her character fascinating but I also just have to wonder, I mean, he is the ultimate bad boy in that, according to his mother, he was a bad boy. Gina. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we all like those dangerous fellows. He is legit dangerous. Like he doesn't need a leather jacket and, a, and uh, you know, a, a, a raccoon tail to hang on to the uh, the tail of his uh, his car, like in a Stephen King novel. He's a regular straight up bad boy. The one who has seven corpses in his rear view mirror and just 22 years of simple therapy to help him get through it. And for a series of reasons. She doesn't like what her mom's doing. Ultimately, she feels this guy's being picked on. You know, Anthony Perkins isn't hard to look at, but he's also and in the in the right T-shirt. His biceps look fucking hot. Can we say? <laughs> no, no, he looks good. He looks good. He looks great for his. I mean, he was. Uh, he had to have been in his forties at this point, if not verging on fifty, possibly. But I would probably peg him in his 40s and he looks pretty good i mean everyone is dressed in the baggiest fucking version of clothes because it's 1983 but when he's just painting in a t-shirt and you see that you know he's tanned he's ready to go and you're like damn uh you're you're kind of like a snack but also the seven corpses in the rear view i can't look past it yeah, also he's he's very sweaty Constantly stammering. Yes. Now, I, I get that because when I'm very, very anxious, I do tend to develop a stutter, but I, I'm not sure, usually yeah. sweating at the same time. <laughs> it's a real one-two punch. Now, I realize they're in like, they um, look like they're in like, uh, uh, is it like needles? That's like a, that's like a, de- that's like a desert uh, area in California, right? Yeah. I mean, this it, it, they've always kind of cast it as somewhere between Arizona which is where right, right, right. She from Phoenix, right. in California. But it's also the part of Arizona or California that has a convenient swamp. <laughs> that's, that's a new one. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, I mean the, 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 the Bates house looks like just right out in the middle of like scrub desert scrub land. 
Yes. And the thing is, is it isn't. Um, this is, uh, the, one of the things I truly love about it is its transformation of the universal bank lot, something I hold near and dear to my heart because I grew up here in Southern California. I was a universal tour guide. I've told the story about how I drove past the psycho house in the middle of the night on a golf cart. It scared myself fucking silly. Psycho means a lot to me in that circumstance, but behind it are the hills where the Hollywood Bowl resides. So it's not in the middle of nowhere. And the secret to all this is A, camera angles, and B, the matte paintings of Albert Whitlock, uh, one of Alfred Hitchcock's secret weapons, um, who would just replace the background of things. And this sits neatly in the universal back lot. It's very obvious where it is. But they do a very good job of hiding that, both with matte paintings and just fucking angles. And it makes everything look creepy and imposing as a result. Yeah, no, it's very, it's very well done. It, it looks very isolated. Uh, you know, yeah. Mr. Toomey has a good point. Yeah, I can't imagine why anybody would stay there unless they wanted to engage in illicit drug use and sex. Yes, but also, what about that root cellar makes you want to get it on? Like, we have seen people get horny for all sorts of weird reasons, but my mind is always is always cast back to student bodies in which no matter what circumstance they find themselves in, whether it's inside a parade float or underneath the bleachers with all the trash falling on them, it always makes them horny. And here, the world's oldest teenagers outside of Dick Clark crawl into a small window unroll a bedroll on that's, the that's already that's already there that suggests that that you know they, they have yeah. this little setup that this is where this is where they had right. their rendezvous how many people have fucked on that dusty bedroll like this Gina? is like this is like make and this is like like make out point this is for what what, what was the what was the place in uh in uh happy days inspiration point that they would go point. to that this yes. the teen makeout spot this 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 root the inspiration cellar. I have for intercourse is where Norman Bates housed the skeletal remains this, of this the mother. This root cellar where a desiccated corpse was found. <laughs> Quick, let's get the worst weed we can find that's been in the ankle of my sock. <laughs> like that bad boy up, and I'll feel you up for half an hour. Like, what good sex happened in that basement? I, it's just. Like how how depressing is this town? This is where the teens go. When, when did you like? I don't mean to be forward, but you know what was your first time? Well, I was in college. What was your first time? Well, I was in the basement of a serial killer where he used to house the mommy poisoned. Anyways, I got super high and I fucked on a dusty bedroll, just surrounded by <laughs> by jars of twenty five year old fruit and vegetables. <laughs> It smelled of coal. God, and imagine Jimmy. how imagine like, how damp that smelled. <laughs> the spiders, the spiders alone just don't like there have to be you're conveniently located near a swamp. You can't tell me there isn't a turnoff near the swamp. If you can dispose of multiple bodies in that swamp, you can probably fuck in the back seat without being disturbed. Yeah, I mean just there's gotta be a better way, children. There's gotta be a better way. <laughs> the the kids of this town are not all right because they want to fuck in the Bates cellar. Um 
Oh my God. Oh my God. I love uh, Robert Loja in this movie because he's so un Robert Loja. He's like chill Loja. Yeah. I, I was going to say this why that he's being treated by Dr. Robert Loja. One of the things I like about what Ro- Robert Loja is doing in this particular movie is he's kind of fulfilling the role of Martin Balsam right. from the right. original movie, even though he's not a detective. He's just this semi-grizzled individual <laughs> who can smell that something's rotten. And he's not quite sure what it is necessarily, but he's also invested to the point where he's not going to give up. And for him, he's genuinely invested in the sanity of Norman. Like it's a, he's playing a guy who actually cares. Like someone else should be doing this job. And he's like, no, I need to make, you know, like we fought long and hard for this guy to find peace in his life. And I'm not going to give up on him. And it's very endearing. Um, his character, and I don't think Logia got a ton of opportunities to play endearing. Yeah, no, if you've seen Robert Logia, you'll probably, and, and if this is the first time I watch for you, you'll probably think, oh, he's in on this somehow. <laughs> and he, and, and he, and he, right. and he, he is, yes. he, you know, he's, he's a, a, yeah. a good, a good person who cares about Norman and unfortunately ends up getting him killed. Yeah, it's a very interesting, you know, archetype that he's put up in because he's he's generally trying to find the truth, not so much for him, but just to make sure this guy who's fought long and hard to find some semblance of peace and he can tell like, I don't know, he's he yes, his sanity may be tipping, but someone is pushing someone or some ones are pushing him and I'm going to fucking figure out who it is. And of course your, you know, cause celeb, the person you, once you see, you go, that person definitely has to be in on it is the one, the only Dennis. <laughs> the Franzinator who came, who, who, who ended up on this sh- shitty California desert town by way of Queens. It just brought a lot of Queen's energy with him. Uh, He's just, he's been exiled with an eight ball of cocaine to the farthest reaches of this Arizona, California border town. And he's like, I'm still going to wear that shitty polyester shirt and just sell drugs to people who want to fuck in the motel. And this is working out great for me, y'all. Until the owner of the house gets gets out of the loony bin. (laughs) And it just, pretty much just ruins his racket. And so you can understand why he's angry because you're messing with his money. Um, but the way he goes, like he is, he knew how to play repugnant very, very well. Although I've never heard that he himself was repugnant. So he just must have had that well within him that he would not you know, use in real life, but found many opportunities to relish on screen right 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 but yeah no he plays he plays an excellent scumbag whereas perkins is playing norman bates like he's like filled to the brim with rats that are high on crack (laughs) every part of him is bouncing in a different direction when he's supposed to be standing still it's just it's like um he's in one of those uh 
cylinders that they would blow money around, only inside are, are high on crack racks. Well, I, I think one of my favorite parts about this movie is it really employs uh, stingers very well. Like, you know, he, he gets yes. out of the, uh, yeah. the psychiatrist's car and looks at the house, the stinger. You know, he he, op- he opens a cabinet. He's uh-huh. like the, uh, the 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 container that he. I guess he was. That's what he held the the poison in that he killed his mother with. The poison stinger. Mom, yeah. yeah, he opens a opens a drawer. There's like a uh-huh. giant fucking knife sitting in there. Stinger. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the drawer is just absolutely just it might as well be made of rust and there's one clean like casually knife. tossed just in there out and he's like well <laughs> just <laughs> and, and speaking of like one of my favorite line readings is, is perkins saying I-, I forgot to bring any cutlery <laughs> like he's halfway to new york city <laughs> Yeah, they hire him to work at a diner, which which may not be the best job for someone of his tele- his delicate uh, uh, delicate yeah. state. Because I mean, I don't know if you've ever done restaurant work. One of the most tense scenes in the whole one of the most tense scenes in the whole movie is him cutting lettuce while not paying attention. I'm like, your fucking fingers are down there. Please pay attention to whether you're using that knife. You're freaking me the fuck out. Yeah, I was gonna say he's gonna. He, you're going to lose a thumb <laughs> or you're going to lose somebody else's thumb. And then when he does get distracted by the quote unquote note from his mother, who I guess, is that a, a real mother note or is that a Lila and Mary note? It has to be a Lila Mary note. I think that's a, a, a yeah, it's a, it's a Lila Mary note. But when he gets distracted by it and he knocks, to, knocks into the short, uh, the, the cook and grease, flies out of it like a small pilot whale has been swimming in that grease. And, that, 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 and then the guy's like, ooh, ouchie, yeah, my but forearms. Then he's, like, he's, like, he's pretty chill about it later. He's like, yeah, Norman, why don't you take the rest of the day off? <laughs> yeah. he probably, I don't know. He probably gets sprayed with grease like five times a day. That's the impression I get where he's like, ah, it's yeah, his happens. arms are just covered in like scar, in like, like, in like grease fire scars. Yeah. This is nothing. Yeah. Meanwhile, when the explosion happens, it's like it's like Free Willy jumped from one side of the grill into the fry trap. And it's like, wow, that's a big <laughs> splash. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing about this, like, I just don't think most sequel pitches would have actually dealt with what Norman would be like if he'd really engaged in therapy or made... You know, and or tried to make him genuinely vulnerable. And they don't really ever try to do that again. Like in three, it's like, no, he kills people on the side. He's just like keeping it real chill. Whereas here, he's like, I don't want to kill people. I worked hard to get out of that hospital. I don't want to go back. My mother isn't alive and telling me what to do. He's essentially playing both the Marion guilt element of the first film and the Norman role at the same time, fully aware of his, you know, culpability in having, you know, been a one man murder spree and then like scared to death that he might do the same thing again. It, the mystery this time is not so much a who done it, but a, could I be doing it with a person who we know is very, can very easily 
be let you know led by his own mind to do things that he doesn't want yeah to it's do. a little it's a little bit of a tragedy which is which is something you don't see in this genre much where like if, if people yeah. had just left him the fuck alone none of this would have happened you know, right. you know he'd you know, gone back to yes. you know he probably never would have made a great right book, i mean if, yes, if he, he would just have been, been allowed to run a shabby little motel and you know without people trying to, you know, continue to make him pay for what he did, you know, things probably would have been okay. One of the things that is in the trailer, I remember from being a youth and seeing the trailer for this while I was in line for the Universal Studios Packlot Tram Tour, is Mary reading Jack Henry Abbott's In the Belly of the Beast in bed. And obviously your mind immediately goes, oh, because she's inside the quote-unquote psycho house with Norman Bates, she's in the belly of the beast, but also I can't see that book without thinking about the SNL sketch that lampoons it uh, with Eddie Kill Murphy. My landlord. <laughs> C I L L, my landlord. Dead. <laughs> Great sketch, fantastic work. Uh, we are very old. I was just watching the synchronized swimming sketch the other day. Oh, um, yeah, there's, there's a, I think everyone picks their roles very, very well. And that goes for, you know, everyone kind of across the board. Cause I think Vera Miles is really good in this motion picture. Like she is doing exactly what she wants to do. Like you can hear fr- like Franklin, Richard Franklin talk about her, like, on special features. He's like, she was a dynamo. She delivered every time she was on set, everything we asked her to do. She did that plus two. She was just that fucking good at her job. And I think she relished the opportunity to flip it from I'm the, you know, white hat cowboy swinging into town to find the murderer of my sister to I'm going to make sure that this fragile man goes back to the loony hatch. But I think that she thinks that she, you know, that, that she's the hero in this story. And that, and again, that's, you know, what, what makes her an interesting approach to an antagonist in this. She is the hero of her own story. It's like, she tries to tell everybody like this guy is going to kill again. And she's right. But she wouldn't be right if she laid the fuck off. Right. I mean, she, I, I, I have to wonder, you know, they, the whole, con, the whole, the whole, you, your premise of this plan that she and, and Mary, her daughter have is, you know, we're going to, we're going to just, you know, harass him until he loses his mind, has to get, it's like, yeah, but you know, th- th- that could lead to someone's death. Are, are you okay with that? And and, yeah. and it seems like they kind of are. I think they, they kind of are. It, it's kind of collateral yes. damage for her to be able to prove a point. It, she just needs to be right because she was right that one time. Um, and uh, meanwhile, we have uh, Toomey, who Dennis Franz is playing. And I just want to think that the director's like, listen, um, I, I don't want Toomey to come off as too sleazy. And Dennis Franz going, sorry, the muse speaks. <laughs> and like every part of me is covered in grease. And so his little apartment in the back of the motel features 
And this is not a movie filled with to the brim with fantastic details um, because it's all like recreating the original psycho. But this is a new thing in that he has this tiny sculpture on a night table that kind of looks like a nose. And the longer I looked at it, it's like, well, do you have a sculpture that it's like shows two people going to town on each other and like, yep. I got one of those. Let's put that on that. Oh yeah, it looks, like, it looks like like I said, <laughs> like I said, fucking. it looks like he he bought everything in his apartment from from a, a souvenir shop in Atlantic City. You know, he he's got like the the you know, the cup that looks it's, like a boob. You know, he's got the he's got the t he's got the happy fisherman <laughs> t shirt. He's got the yeah. naked lady playing cards. <laughs> he's shopping at the same store that Dudley Moore shops in in foul play. Like his whole fuck pad in foul play <laughs> is exactly the way Toomey lives his life. Toomey's definitely got that uh, that watch. Uh, you see the, the ad passed around on the internet sometimes. I know I posted it. The watch says time to fuck. <laughs> At every yes. number. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> the Coke spoon medallion around his neck. But really wouldn't get any action unless he knew the guy in town who has the good men. Exactly. You know, and that's, that's how he gets laid. Yeah. Um, and then we have Sheriff Hunt, uh, who doesn't play a huge role here. I'm not sure that actor actually repeated from Psycho or they're, you know, just recasting a little bit or whatnot. But uh, the shark from Jaws eats with less veracity than Sheriff Hunt. Hey, you sandwich. have to admit, that's a good looking sandwich. It looks like they had a little salami in there. It's a great looking sandwich. A little salami, maybe a little ham. That looks, <laughs> that looks good. St- Sticking out the sides, got a, a pull top Pepsi going on with Heck it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you want to turn that down if you found out in your lunch bag, would you? <laughs> no, I, I probably not. It looks like a very fat, fatty processed meat. I mean, it's right up my alley. Um, and as the movie goes on and Norman's sanity continues to slip, every time he goes a little bit crazier. <laughs> Uh, the camera goes a little bit crazier. It finds the weirdest place in a room to go and just goes there. At one point, it just rises above him while he's talking on the phone to look at Mary until it hits the arch between the entryway and the living room. It's like, we don't have anywhere else to go. We're that crazy. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple really good shots. Like it, It's a split second, but you get a little bit of the, uh, the split diopter. Which, which I, I, I yeah. love, I love the split diopter. I, I love it when it's used correctly. And, and as we, as Correct. we, yes. if you, if you, if you go back to our, uh, our episode on color of night, which, which I implore <laughs> that they, that's a personal favorite of mine. Um, sure, uh, yeah. they resort to uh, the split diopter a lot and never use it correctly. Yes, they do. Yes. That film desperately wants to be De Palma. And, you know, whiffs on that a lot to, to, I think a fun degree, like it's just out of control. It's, it's a, it's a crazy clown car of ideas that is very entertaining to watch it go from point A to point B. Whereas here, it's not that Franklin wants to be Hitchcock, although he is a big Hitchcock devotee and certainly road games plays out that way, but it's that he wants to, uh, do the same thing with the subjective eye of the camera that Hitchcock did, which is tell you 
that things have changed within the characters, not just with how they act, but how the camera interacts with them. I mean, it's he's a director who knows how to manipulate an audience. And I think there were a lot of reviewers at the time who just couldn't get out of their fucking way. They were A, going like, he's too much of a Hitchcock devotee, which is what they aimed at De Palma all the time, just ignoring what he brought to the table. And secondly, they're ignoring how deftly, well, they're like, oh, Hitchcock would never do gore. And it's like, fuck you. He would have loved gore. Now, he probably oh wouldn't God. have put a lot of hatchets to the face, but he loved gore. Like, you read what he wanted to do with Frenzy, and it is gore, gore, gore. Yeah, I mean, Frenzy, like, you know, you have a very long sequence of somebody getting choked to death. And and, and to me, yeah. that's more disturbing than, you know, someone getting stabbed a couple of times and then blood pours out. Right. I mean, Rope is another one. Where, like, the point of that movie is people are hard to strangle. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, if there's a moral to that story, it's strangling someone takes a long time. And, you know, whereas the birds is full of aftermath of that person was pecked to death. That person lost both their juicy eyes to these <laughs> delightful birds. Like, how you can sit there at your, at, at your typewriter and go... Alfred Hitchcock sure did hate gore. Like, no, no, he didn't. He, If he had the ability to do the shit that they pulled off in Friday the 13th, he would have found a way to do it that would have been more mean to blondes. <laughs> now, I was going to say that I, I appreciate any movie that, whether it's a horror movie or a, a you know, a murder mystery or something that 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 has the guts to show that it's actually kind of difficult to kill someone, and that like yeah. you know it, it takes a while for people to die, and and uh, and I think that <laughs> that you know, I think that Hitchcock kind of really dug into that a lot of it. So yeah, mm-hmm. and and this movie, yes, the kills are pretty gruesome, but they're relatively bloodless. Which is which is which is surprising yeah. to me. Like the bloodiest it gets is when, for whatever reason, like all of his plumbing backs up and blood starts pouring out of it. And yeah. apparently that's that's not a hallucination. <laughs> um, which, no, it's not. A which is a weird moment. Someone but stuffed a blood-soaked towel down the toilet and thought this is the perfect crime. Like, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, the only one who's worse at crime is Donald Trump. Like. He is the worst criminal, and the, like right above that is Mrs. Bates 2.0. She's just really terrible at this. And as a result, it it just th- fucks up Lila and Mary's plan completely. And you're right. There's not a ton of blood. Like even the Lila murder, which is a great shot of that knife going through her mouth, through the back of her throat, is in shadow. Well, I do love, I do love that, um, that the special effects are not super great in this. Uh, um, my favorite part is, um, I mean, I realize for the, for the, for the time they're probably, they're, they're, they're pretty good, but like, I I couldn't help but notice that, uh, the scene where, where Toomey is murdered, um, you have, uh, uh, Dennis Franz kind of like, I guess he's like leaving and he's packing his suitcase and he sees, you yeah. know, someone sneaking in the room and he stands up, got a big old lump of putty almost out of his face. 
Oh yeah, yeah. No, he it looks, looks like, like he looks like he's halfway through a transformation into a Ferengi. Yeah. I was gonna say, it looks, I was gonna say, it looks like he suddenly developed like like a a, a tooth infection. <laughs> I mean, he's halfway to a scanner's kill when he stands up. It, there's, it's it's not the best. It's no. not the best. Whereas, like the Lila corpse that's sitting in the coal, I think that looks fucking amazing. Yeah, that, that's pretty. Good. I think Lila's death good. looks amazing. I, yeah. I also like um, uh, the kill in the, uh, the the fruit cellar um, when you have uh, uh, <laughs> Mrs. Bates 2.0 coming at the uh, the um, yeah. the kid. She kind of looks like she's kind of being pushed on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> it does make you think maybe the corpse has stood up and is just a skeleton that's yeah. being supported by a ghost. Like straight out of the original House on Haunted Hill yes, sort of yes, skeleton, exactly. that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> she does not look yeah, like she's like running at him. <laughs> it would be cool if she was on rollerblades, and that's how she killed people. I was Have gonna we say had that's, a how, that's how she rollerblading killer. And that's how she doesn't get caught by by Mary or Mrs. Loomis for the longest time. <laughs> right. She Every time she away. kills somebody, then she's out the back door doing the do, just the most extreme downhill rollerblading you've ever seen in your life. Smell you I, later, this suckers. This, <laughs> I mean, someone splice this together, like combine this and rad. We have the technology. We can do this. Like gleam the cube of Psycho 2 it's a great double feature. Just fuck the double feature and combine them as motion pictures. Yeah. I love that dirty basement peanut, that dirty peanut basement. Rather. Um, it's, it's really grody down there. It is horrible. Those two teenagers are so fucking old. You're trying to like, here's the deal. Are you trying to convince me that those are high schoolers? They don't even look, if they're in college, they're in 19th grade. <laughs> They're in night school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like night school, like on the dark side of the moon, or they went so far into the future via light speed that they came back a different age. It just, there's no, everyone keeps referring to them as kids. And then you look at them and you're like, what? Because you're in your 60s and they're in their early 30s. Is that why they're kids? I mean, you know, I call anybody who's 30 a kid at this point. You're just, you're just a baby. <laughs> but here they're like, we don't know he's murdered unless he comes home to what? The group home he lives in? Because that is an adult man. <laughs> the halfway home? <laughs> right. <laughs> the halfway home from Friday the 13th part five, even though it hasn't happened yet. Um, Yeah. I, I just, there's so many things I love about this movie and how it plays out and that Norman is genuinely confused the way he'll, once he gets, starts to get the phone calls from mother, you don't know which phone calls are really phone calls from miss Mrs. Bates 2.0 and which ones are just his mind telling him what's going on and which ones are from Lila. He, you just don't know. But once he switches from his left ear to his right ear, shit's on oh you're right that's a good observation i never i never noticed that but i i do like that when he talks yeah. to mary he's like constantly on the verge of hysteria and then like when he picks oh, up the yeah. phone he's like he's like he's like yes mother <laughs> he 
all, all right. <laughs> he goes real soft. It's like instant Xanax, man. He's like, he's like, he's like, I'm sorry. You, you want me it, to kill her? She, I mean, if you're raised on trauma, if you are, if, if she is legitimately fostering him to be the craziest adult he could possibly be. And as a result, he's, you know, he's primed to, to be absolutely broken. And some of the things they kind of explored in that Bates Motel TV series is the fact that, like, she is committing murders. She is luring guys back and murdering them for money. And that's what he's raised on. Of course he's going to end up killing people because he's being fostered by that. So her you know, murderous rage is a pacifier for him in certain circumstances. So he gets calm, the crazier things get. And uh, to the point where at one point, Mary's like, listen, I just, I want to make sure that you're okay. He says, well, I don't kill people anymore. Remember? (laughs) And he almost kind of waggles his eyebrows at her like, eh? <laughs> Remember, listen, I'm over that. Like, <laughs> I did my time killing people, and now I've worked really hard to be the guy who doesn't kill people. I would, I would, I would okay. love to. I would love to work the phrase. You remember, I used to kill people into just casual conversation. <laughs> and this is a person whom you have been sharing a roof with. <laughs> so they have a very tight friendship at this point. Uh, bordering on something else. Um, whereas Lila and Mary's relationship is fraught. Like, we talked in Friday the 13th, part six, about what kind of relationship you have to have with a guy. That When you turn to him and go, will you accompany me on a road trip where I dig up a dead serial killer and I light his corpse on fire? And he's like, yeah, I don't have anything to do this weekend. Yeah, I'd love to go to New Jersey. And that's a special relationship. Conversely, the, listen, I'll put you through school, but you got to help me convince this guy who killed your aunt that he's still crazy and he needs to go away. She's like, <laughs> well, I do want to get through this college course. So, and I don't want to be in debt. So yeah, sure. Let's do this. And she just signs on board until she doesn't. Yeah, like like I said, this is this is good casting because she always played this kind of you know nutty role, and it's interesting that her yes. and Jennifer Tilly obviously are sisters, and and but but played so wildly different characters in their in their in their in, in very their movies. different energies. Yeah, like, very different energies. You know, like like Jennifer Tilly is is very you. Know, overtly sexual and and meg tilly yeah. said she's she's spooky she's a spooky girl you know she's 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 you know yeah, she's kind haunted. of a little she's kind of a little you know hippy dippy kind of a little ethereal but also maybe she's kind of nuts you can't really tell yeah it's that she, she's twice that california she, fruits and nuts sort of thing that right. was so prevalent in the late 70s early 80s yeah she that twice aesthetic. she twice uses the phrase making love and you know how i feel about that phrase <laughs> Yeah, no. Two people can be under the same roof and not have made love. And, he, and she says this to Dennis. To Dennis Franz, Franz. Like, so Dennis Franz, who I I don't know about him personally, but I'll tell you that right now that character has never quote unquote made love. That is no. not a thing he's into. 
or looking for. <laughs> he knows what he's like, and he doesn't want to make anything that has to do with love. And I, it should absolutely be noted as the universal backlog nerd in me. That the swamp that they find uh, both the original bodies in the first film in and the new bodies here is on the back lot. You don't really see it from the tour because it's on the other side of the uh, Ten Commandments uh, uh, Red Sea parting. Um, and it's but it's still kind of there. And then um, the place where the cops uh, there, the sheriff station is, is courthouse square from back to the future. So I just have to blurt out these things. It's court mandated as the former tour guide. Yeah. That, that's uh Norman's preferred murder swamp of choice because he uses it again. in uh, well, he, I guess technically he doesn't use it in this one because again, it's, it's Mrs. Spool of it, you know, presumably. Right. It runs in the family. Though. But, but the he does, he does favorites. use it. He does go back to, uh, to it in the third movie. Which is not nearly as good as this one. No, it's more of a, and I I have not watched it in a while, but I remember it being struck as this is like if you try to force Vertigo into Psycho for some particular reason. Like, I want to make a sequel to both movies at the same time. And you're like, okay. And Diana Scarwood is always a interesting actress. I I'm never quite sure if I like what she's doing or dislike what she's she, doing. She's another it's, one that's got that, that, really that spooky energy. Um, yes, but but also absolutely. but but on the but on the upside, you also get to see uh, Jeff Fahey beaten to death with a guitar. <laughs> and Fahey has fantastic hair in that motion picture. He is drop dead gorgeous, completely sleazy. And has the most Mallory's boyfriend from Family Ties hair you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and then at the end of this, you have Robert Loja stabbed by Mary accidentally. He falls off the banister, hits another banister on the way down, sinking the knife in, like adding insult to injury. That would happen to me. And then <laughs> Mary picks up the knife and starts g- gently stabbing norman as <laughs> he's like i need to help you mother and she's like stay away poke poking at you poking at you poking at you uh, uh, i forgot just, i forgot about that, that one person I, I forgot about that shot where he grabs a knife and she pulls it like through his hands and i'm like Ew. yeah and i think that's the most bloody violence you really see with blood involved is like we can take it out on Norman Bates because, you know, you came here to see him murder people and he doesn't until the very end in which Mrs. Bates 2.0 shows up and says, you know, I would have loved to have been your mother, but I was in an institution. By the time I got out, you were in, you know how it goes. So now when you got out and I saw how people were treating you, I had to stab them through the face. You know how it is. And Norman's like, yeah, I do. And then he just clubs her on the back of the head with a shovel that he happens to have in his kitchen because he was feeding coal to his furnace and just brought it up so he could have a toasted cheese sandwich. Can I tell you, I I know, I know that murders her. I know that we talked about this uh, when we did a guest spot on um, waiting to exhale. Uh, This has the honor of being my all time favorite horror movie kill. I I, uh, I just I, I don't I, hate that. I love it so much. 
it's just that that that, that thwack. I I I I'm just like he's like, well, got to kill her, you know, plonk. I, I, I love how I love how calm he is. You know what, what's that? Uh, 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 that that meme. You know, in my lane, you know, moisturized, unbothered. Yeah. You know, it's like yes. he, he's, he's, he's all his, those things. He's not sweating. He's not stammered. He's totally chill. Just you know, whistling yeah. to himself, putting her back where she belongs. You know, if she's like, bah, 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 open the motel. <laughs> he's like, all right, mom. And, <laughs> Everything is in its place once more. Just a needle finding its groove. And he just like, this is where I need to be. You know what? I had my time worrying about this. and I'm going to stop worrying and just be this person and maybe try not to get caught this time. And um, yeah, it's uh, I love it. I, I love how the camera starts to float up again. That's another, you know, he Franklin kind of finds this energy within the the motion picture just, just like the camera just starts to rise as people get crazier and crazier. It's like um, they're it's like it's like he symbolizes it's like the, the, their brain is floating away from them. <laughs> yeah, Goodbye. The is waving bye bye. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean I, you know, I really think that's a part of this. Whoops among us in the past two and a half years has not felt like their brains are floating away. <laughs> it's very, very true. Um I just I think this is a legit, fun, great motion picture. It, it's an you know, underrated. Is it is it a truly underrated. Come on, it's a, it's a truly underrated yeah. sequel. Uh, and, and no matter how highly you rate it, I think it is underrated because the scale of how high the original is in terms of skill level, in terms of cultural impact, uh, with even within Hitchcock's own filmography it is up there of a what you could honestly be described as a a master of the cinematic arts so when you're taking that on you had better come correct and there while there are parts of this that feel ludicrous in the moment at the end you're like they were ludicrous they just these ludicrous things were both happening at the same time (laughs) and it just turned out in crazy's favor because it's psycho too. It's psycho two T O O <laughs> psycho comma two um, <laughs> is the way it goes. And so um, before we go, of course we have to play America's favorite game show. And it is unaware of for the most part, and that's choose your own death venture where we decide of the deaths presented in this film. If we were forced to die in one of those ways, well, which one would we choose and why up for bid? We of course have the uh, death from the original psycho, but I, I'm pretty confident neither of us is going to choose that one. So let's start with slice through the face while you're halfway in between having your face transferred onto newspaper uh, with some silly putty, I guess. <laughs> um, stabbed to death in a dirty peanut basement. Uh, knife down the gullet and through the back of your neck. Uh, then stuffed into some coal. Uh, stabbed in the heart with the assist of gravity and stairs. Uh, shot to death by the police because, of course, the police shoot the wrong person. Why change now? Or uh, be poisoned by tea and take a shovel to the head. Gina, I choose you to go first. I mean, I, I, I've got to, I've got to take what I love, and and what I love yes. is people getting beaned in the head with a shovel. 
bonked with that crazy hollow shovel sound and just, just take like, a like, header I, I just, into I, I, the plate that should have housed a toasted cheese sandwich. When I when I die, I, I want to, to involve a, a sound effect like I'm in a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. Either either <laughs> either a sproing or a bonk or a yeah. thud. Just yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have to take the, the poison tea. Plus the shovel to the head. Because you're she's halfway dead when she gets Yeah, her head's already out. drooping. So I mean, like, like she yeah. she didn't see that coming. She didn't feel a thing. It was just Mm-mm. good night, Grandma. No, at, at best at, at best, the shovel is just helping her out before more pain happens. So um I think it's the perfect way to go. I'm going to suggest to Ollie that that's the way I go. Just to, um, to, to hopefully he can make my dreams come true. Yeah, you got He's got to work in that upper body strength because that was a hell of a swing that, uh, that 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 Norman took. Great form, great form on that shovel swing. Um, all of our art is done by Josh Hollis and uh, our music by Revenge Body. Go to uh, revengebodymemphis.bandcamp for all of our main themes and our remixes. Uh, great stuff there. Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about movies and television at spool.net. Uh, by the time this goes up, hopefully, uh, screeners permitting, I will have covered uh, the remake of Goodnight Mommy. God help us all. Um, uh, Pinocchio, God help us all. Uh, and my best friend's, um, my best friend's exorcism, which I am actually looking forward to. Um, and I am on Twitter under Gina does things. Do it today. People check it out. Of course you can find us on Patreon and help support the podcast. We have plenty of fun things to check out there, including us talking about the most recent Halloween movies. Uh, we've already talked about, uh, Halloween 2018, which, I rediscovered my love for and ended up walking away from it going, maybe I love Halloween movies. Um, that was an interesting journey for me. And next up, another interesting journey being Halloween Kills, a movie we both thought was not as good as 2018. So uh, will it rise like 2018 did in my estimation or will it fall even farther? We'll have to wait and find out. Uh, and of course, you can find us on all the socials. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice to help us be seen and heard by more people. And that just about does it, but don't worry, folks. The body count will continue, and when I tell you we've got some fun things lined up for our scary time season, let me tell you, it's going to be a good time. You're going to want to tell your friends, you're going to want to tell your worst enemies to get on the kill-by-kill train, because uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, hopefully. Uh <laughs> You know, listen, God plans, man. Man plans, God laughs. But, you know, we're going to try really hard to make this happen because there's fun stuff on the horizon. But for myself and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.